Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I sort of feel like the flea that was on the elephant's back. It came to a swinging bridge, crossed a chasm. They stepped out on that bridge and that bridge shook and swung and creaked. And they got to the other side and that flea said, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? <laughs> what a blessing, what a blessing. Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. This week you're going to be reading 2 Peter and the book of Jude. Now I don't know how we got it out of order there, but we put those two books together. We're coming to a close of uh, reading through the Bible. We began last September, a year ago, and today we're looking at 2 Peter, which was written not long after the first letter that Peter wrote, and like 2 Timothy is the swan song of Paul, 2 Peter is the last letter he wrote before he was executed. Jude was written along the same time, and you may not realize this, but Jude, which is short for Judah, also was a half-brother of Jesus, the brother of James. James was the the uh, one that's more famous because of the, the, the letter to, uh, that he wrote. But, but Jude was also not a believer in Christ until after the resurrection. He, um, but he was also a half-brother of Jesus. And Jude basically writes a, a short letter stating for Christians to keep on keeping on, to stay in there. And these letters here at the end of the New Testament are about encouragement and keeping on in perseverance. I want to read today out of 2 Peter chapter 3 beginning in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's just mentioned some have scoffed that the Lord will not return and he says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but is long suffering toward us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Now here's a passage about global warming, the real global warming. (laughs) Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, 
Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation when you ask yourselves, what am I doing now? What am I going to do now? A little boy years ago, back before they had all the rules and regulations, seven years old, was on an airplane by himself. His mom and dad were not there. His siblings were not there. He was a little afraid, but he had to be on an airline flight. He sat next to the window and thinking that no one else was going to sit there, he was relieved until a big, burly, mean-looking guy, and I'll let you think about what that looks like. I'm afraid to say what it looked like because now there's a lot of people that look that way. And, and I would be offending them. But you can imagine what you can be. A seven-year-old was afraid of this man. He was just a mean-looking guy. And he sat in the middle seat. Now, the boy's by the window. He's in the middle seat. And this guy's big enough. He's taking up most of both of those seats. And he wasn't five minutes there till that big man went to sleep. This little boy was not used to flying. When the plane took off, there was some turbulence. And he began to get airsick, nauseated. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a miserable experience. And he didn't know what he was going to do. He needed to get back to the restroom because he knew he was nauseated. But this man was asleep and he was covering all that. And the little boy stood up and was trying to figure out how to crawl over him. And about that time, the airplane hit turbulence and the little boy threw up all over this man. Well, now he didn't know what to do. And he sat back down for a second. About five minutes later, that man woke up. And he looked all over himself and he looked at that little boy and that little boy said, are you feeling better now, sir? (laughs) Now that is thinking on your feet. Thinking ahead, what do we do now? A pastor was visiting an older man and the pastor was trying to lead him to the Christ and he said, sir, at your age, you need to be thinking about the hereafter. And the man said, I do that all the time, no matter where I am, in the living room upstairs, in the basement, I ask myself, why am I here? What am I here after? And the Christians, sometimes we wonder, what do we do now? Jesus told his disciples, I've gone to prepare a place for you. He ascended into heaven. We know that he said he's coming back soon. Here it is 2,000 years later and he hadn't come back. Now the indications are that it could be getting close to the way the world is going and the way everything is settling in. It could be soon, but what do we do now while we're waiting? Well, that's what Peter's writing about. Some were scoffing because the Lord had not returned and, the, and they were saying, well, where's the, the uh, sign of his coming? He said he was going to come and Peter is trying to encourage the Christians and he says, here's what you do now. Here's how you live. How does God want you to live in these last days? First of all, he wants us to be exemplary. It shows how we live. He says, what manner of people should you ought to be? Now the word ought refers to an obligation, that of owing a debt. In other words, the question is, do you sense an obligation to live with an eternal perspective? Peter said, if you don't, you should be. I like the way the Living Bible paraphrases it. It says, and so since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy, godly lives should you, we should be living? How astoundingly excellent you ought to be. 
If heaven is our real home and the return of Jesus is real, then it should affect the way that we live right now. I don't know about you, but if my wife is gone for a period of time and I'm there by myself, I don't have a tendency to clean up after myself until right before she gets home. Now, I know I'm not the only one that does that. I mean, I, you know, I'll make sure all the dishes are clean, everything's put up, trash is emptied and all that, bed's made. But when I'm by myself, I pretty much can be a slob. It's like you. But right before she comes home, I'm cleaning up. Well, that's not the way we should be living here. We know the Lord's returning, and some people think, well, I'm going to wait right before he gets here, then I'm going to start cleaning up. Peter said, there ought to be a difference in your life through, through your holy conduct and godliness. What's the difference? Holy conduct a fact, uh, 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 appeals to how we live, our actions. It's how we act. Godliness is a desire in your heart to please the Lord in all things. And what you say and where you go and what you read and how you live your life. Godliness comes from the inside. Conduct, obviously, is what shows up on the outside. We want to live godly lives. It's not always easy, is it? A pastor was making a wooden trellis to support a climbing vine in his yard. He was pounding away and he noticed a little boy kept watching him. The youngster didn't say a word, so the preacher just kept on working, thinking the boy would eventually leave, but he didn't. And after a long while, he was pleased, thinking the little boy was trying to learn something about gardening. And so he asked this little, man, this little boy, he said, son, you trying to pick up some pointers on gardening? He said, no, sir, I'm waiting to hear what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to live a godly life, isn't it? In verse 14, he says that we're to have peace. Well, only Jesus Christ can give that peace. We're to be without spot. Only Jesus Christ can forgive us and blameless. We should live a life that doesn't allow people to find ways to criticize us. Another way to look at it is when Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He also said in that same chapter, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Let me ask you something. If I could prove to you, which I can't, but if I could prove to you that Jesus Christ was coming back in six hours, what would you do? You got anybody you need to apologize to? You have anybody you need to forgive? You have any sin that you need to confess? We're supposed to be living that way all the time, expecting him to come. Joseph Stoll, who was pastor of Moody Bible Church in Chicago for many years, said, when we begin to believe the reality of the other side, we start behaving differently on this side. That is what drove the disciples out into their world. They had seen firsthand the reality of the other side. When they saw the resurrected Jesus, it changed everything. So what do you do now? You be exemplary. But Peter also says we should be expectant. 
Verse 13, he uses the phrase looking for three times in these verses. In verse uh, 12... Is that me? It was the microphone, it wasn't me. (laughs) That's how unexpected Jesus is gonna return. How's that for an illustration? In verse 12, it says we're looking for the coming day of God or the day of God. In verse 13, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth. In verse 14, we're looking forward to these things. And the word looking is in present tense indicating that it's a habit. It means to be alert. You're looking. You ever been standing on some place waiting for somebody to pick you up, to give you a ride, or maybe they're coming to pick you up to take you home? You... You're looking, you're you're alert, present tense. I'm continuously looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And the coming of Christ and the doctrine of heaven provides some of the strongest motivation we have to live for him. The fact that I know he's coming motivates me and you to live for him. We never know when it's going to be. The future is like an anchor that's been cast ahead of us and it's pulling us toward it. The second coming of Jesus is there, pulling us toward it. Robbie Robbins was an Air Force pilot during the first Iraq war. He had flown 300 missions and to his surprise, he was given permission to pull his crew together and fly his plane home. They flew across the ocean to Massachusetts and then had a long drive to western Pennsylvania. They drove all night, and when his buddies dropped him off at his driveway just after sunup, there was a big banner over the garage that said, Welcome home, Dad. Now, how did they know? He hadn't told anybody he was coming home. The crew themselves left so quickly they didn't have time to tell anyone. And Robbins relates, when I walked into the house, the kids, about half-dressed for school, screamed, Daddy! And Susan came running down the hall. She looked terrific, hair fixed, makeup on, and a crisp yellow dress. That was his wife. He said, how did you know? She said, I didn't. But once we knew the war was over, we knew you'd be home one of these days. We knew you'd try to surprise us. So we were ready every day. That is how we live, looking for the return of Jesus. In verse 13, it says we're looking for the world to come. We don't get excited about heaven. Why? Well, obviously God put in us the desire to live as long as we can. But if there was a bus outside that said this bus is going to heaven today, no one would get on it. Because you don't think heaven's going to be that much fun. You don't think heaven's going to be that great. You think heaven's going to be sitting in church for eternity. Some of you think my sermons are eternal. Paul said in Philippians, our citizenship's in heaven. From which also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Randy Alcorn wrote a book on heaven. 
And he says this, if my wedding date is on the calendar and I'm thinking of the person I'm going to marry, I shouldn't be an easy target for seduction. Likewise, when I've meditated on heaven, sin is not terribly appealing. It's when my mind drifts from heaven that sin seems to attract. Thinking of heaven leads me inevitably to pursue holiness. Our high tolerance for sin testifies of our failure to prepare for heaven. Heaven should affect our activities and ambitions and our recreation and friendships and the way we spend our money and time. If I believe I'll spend eternity in a world of unending beauty and adventure, will I be content to spend all my evenings staring at a game show, sitcom, or a ball game, even if I keep my eyes off of impurities? How much time will I want to invest in what does not matter? First John Chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Imagine with me for a moment two sets of parents. They're going to after their student at college. One of them is going to pick up a student who's been given the highest honors academically and, and that the school has to offer. The other set of parents are going after their student who's been kicked out of school. Now, can you imagine the anticipation these parents have? Some of, one of them is highly anticipated, maybe both of them are for different reasons, but are we the type of children our heavenly father will be anxious to come get us? And then think from the student's perspective, which one do you think was anxious to see their parents? The ones who had been achieving what they were supposed to be doing. Peter says, you be exemplary. You be expectant. But he also said, you be evangelistic. You need to be leading. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. You look at verse 15. Our beloved brother Paul, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Why is God waiting He's waiting for more people to come to Christ. And how are people going to come to Christ? They're going to come when we tell them. We say, well, preacher, I don't know how to tell somebody. Yeah, you do. Let me tell you how. You tell about your life before you met Jesus. Now, you may have been in church. You may have been religious like me. Or you may have been in the gutters of life. But the fact is, you had a life before you met Jesus. Then you tell them how you came to know Jesus. What caused you to think about it? Who led you to the Lord? Who, who, what made you start thinking about the fact that you were separated from God and you realized you couldn't save yourself and how you came to know Jesus, how you repented of your sin and asked Christ to come into your life? And then you tell him about your life now, what the Lord is doing for you. Every one of you has a testimony. Every commercial you see, not everyone, but just about everyone you see on television speaks of testimonials. Well, I tried this and I tried this and this works for me. Does Jesus work for you? 
five of you. Does, does Jesus work for you? Yeah, that's better. You've got a testimony. Share it with somebody. Tell somebody about it. Be evangelistic. Be leading people to Christ. He also says to be established. Look at verse 17. Since you know this beforehand, beware. Watch out. Be on guard. It's a middle imperative, which means that you should guard yourself. You yourself should be awake. Be careful what you do. Be careful where you go. Be careful who your friends are. Don't quit. Finish well. I think one of the things that's distressed me is that the age I am, it's a lot of my friends in the ministry have not finished well. A lot of people I know who have not finished well They were going great guns for a while, but they're not finishing well. Don't be one of those people. Peter said, look, guard your heart and mind. Establish yourself. Stay in there. Be lasting. How do you do that? Well, I think it's through spiritual growth. And so... We're exemplary in our life. We're to be expectant. We're looking for the return of Jesus. We're to be evangelistic. We should lead other people. The Lord wants people saved. We should be established. We should be lasting. We should make it. And finally, be educated. You're still learning. What are you learning about? Look at verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow. Learn. Grace is a reference to the spiritual strength that Jesus supplies to the needy sinner. Now, I want you to stop and think a moment. I'm I'm not quite done yet, so don't give up on me. Think about who wrote this. Who, Who wrote this letter? Peter. Simon Peter. Simon Peter was a big fisherman. He was from the country. He was later called unlearned and ignorant in the book of Acts. Personally, I think he may have been the first redneck. (laughs) If he were alive today, he'd be wearing boots, drive a pickup truck with big tires. He'd have a rifle in the back window. He'd probably have a bumper sticker that said, God, guts, and guns made America great, made America great. He was always popping off. Think about it. In one single night, we see him pull out a sword and slash it toward the head of one of the guys sent to arrest Jesus. A couple of hours later, he's cussing and denying he even knew Jesus. This is the same guy who wrote these words. What happened to him? And did you notice the words he wrote about Paul? Because see, he calls him his dear brother and compliments him referring to the scriptures. That's grace. Peter and Paul had a little history. And Mary wasn't there. Now, you got to date yourself to know Peter, Paul, and Mary. (laughs) I'm not even going to say that in the other services because they're not going to get that. But Peter and Paul had a history. They had a face-to-face run-in a few years earlier. In fact, 
Paul wrote about in Galatians. In Galatians 2.11, he said, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. And if Peter had been the same old redneck, he would have probably written harsh words about Paul. But they experienced grace and gave grace to one another. Growing your grace toward other people. Be kind. Then he uses the word knowledge, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Two ways that word can be used it can be intellectual knowledge, what we might call head knowledge. You grow in this kind of knowledge by reading the Bible and studying the scripture. Like 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show yourself approved, a workman who is not ashamed. But the Bible also uses this word to mean experiential knowledge. It's, it's not head knowledge, it's heart knowledge. It's knowing the Lord. And the longer you know him, the sweeter it gets. And the more you rely and trust in him, the more you grow in him. And let me ask you, have you ever filled out an application and it asks you to give your highest level of education? You might check high school diploma or college degree or graduate school degree or postgraduate what if you were filling out an application that asked your level of spiritual maturity? Where would you put yourself? Kindergarten, grammar school, high school, graduate school? But the main difference is that you earn, that you can, uh, you can graduate from the schools of this world, but from the school of Christ, you are always a student. You've never arrived. You're still learning. You're still growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So continue to grow. I mean, you know more about Jesus than you did 10 years ago, I hope. You know what he's done and what he is doing and what he will continue to do. Some of you know the name Johnny Erickson Tata. Two days ago, Friday, was her 72nd birthday. She's been confined to a wheelchair for the last 54 years. In 1967, as a 17-year-old girl, she went swimming in Chesapeake Bay, was involved in a terrible diving accident. She was 17, almost 18. She dove into some water thinking it was deep and it was shallow. It broke her neck. She almost drowned, but her sister saved her. She was paralyzed from the shoulders down. They took her to the hospital. They did all of the tests and came to the conclusion that she would be paralyzed for the rest of her life from the shoulders down, a quadriplegic. It's a pretty hard pill to swallow. She didn't want to swallow that pill. What she wanted to do was die. She would ask her friends when they would come to visit her. She would say, would you please slash my wrists so I can bleed out and die? She said, don't worry, I won't feel it. You'd be doing me such a favor. 
please just kill me. And her friends wouldn't do it. She prayed to God that she would die. And when she finally got in a wheelchair, she would purposely crash her wheelchair into a wall or something, hoping she could break her neck and die. And that never happened. And she said as she began to work through her anger and her bitterness and her sorrow and her woe is me, she prayed a prayer that God answered. And this was the prayer. God, if I can't die, then show me how to live. That should be our prayer. God, until I die, show me how to live. Of course, you know the rest of the story. She's written over 40 books. She paints pictures with her teeth. Tooth, I mean toothbrush, the, the paintbrush in her teeth. She's had radio programs. She's been instrumental around the world. God can do anything with your life. But you ask him, show me how to live my life. If you're a child of God, what do you do now? You keep living. You keep looking. You keep leading people to Christ. You keep lasting and you keep learning because that's the way we're to live until the return of Jesus. Some of you today are not excited about the return of Jesus. Why? If your sins are covered and it is well with your soul, you've got nothing to worry about. But if there's something in your life maybe shouldn't be there, maybe today you need to claim 1 John 1, 9 and confess that sin to him. Or maybe you've never received Christ at all. You've been, you're like me, you're a professional churchgoer for a long time before you ever met Jesus. But today's the day you can meet the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, it sure looks like that you may be coming back soon, but only you know when that's going to be. And the world seems like it's in a mess. But I pray that you would remind the believers that you are coming again and that we can live for you until you get here. We lift up those who do not know Jesus as their Savior. Oh, they're good people. They're trying to do good works. Some may feel like You don't even know them. But Lord, your word tells us you really don't want anyone to perish. So would your spirit draw them to you, showing them how much you love them, how you will forgive them, convict them of sin. Pray God that they would turn from their sin, come to you, receiving the forgiveness that you offer because Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And Lord, I pray that you would bring them to you that it might be well with their soul. They need a church. If this is the place you want them to come, you bring them, Father. 
Some need to be baptized. They've accepted you and followed you, but they've not been obedient in the simple task of being baptized, professing you before people. So Lord, right now we ask that you bring them to you. In Jesus' name. And while your heads are bowed, let me tell you how you can respond. There are pastors here at the front to pray with you, to, to receive you as you come. We're not going to make you stand up here in front of everyone. We're not going to embarrass you. People are going to pray that you come. If there's any decision on your heart, you come. If there's a prayer request or something on your heart today, you just need somebody to lift you up in prayer. These guys are here to do that with you. So would you quietly stand? Would you keep your heads bowed? Would you, would you come as the Holy Spirit leads you? If you're afraid to come by yourself, you ask somebody to come with you. They'll come with you. You come right now. If you're watching us online, you hit that connect button. Somebody will help you right now. Help you know Christ. We'll pray for you. Folks, we don't close an invitation. It's God's invitation. It's not ours to close. So after we're dismissed, if you still like to have somebody pray with you, these men will be around here for a few moments. If you, you can take that communication card that's in the seat pocket and you can indicate your commitment decision today and drop it in the box, we'll call you. You can text the, the phrase living hope, all one phrase, living hope, to 474747. Give us the information. We'll call you. We're not going to show up unannounced at your house. We're going to call you first. And if you want us to come, we can. If you want to meet us some other way, we just want to talk to you about knowing Christ and the decisions you have. If you want to join Southcrest or be baptized or something else on your heart, we'll be glad to call you. You can put your prayer request on that communication card. I want to thank you for being here. Hadn't been good this morning? Taranda Green and the choir and orchestra. A couple of quick things. Two weeks from today, I know is some of your favorite day. It's Halloween. <laughs> We're going to have our trunk retreat that evening. And we need some trunks. We need some people that will volunteer to open their car trunks and their pickup beds. And we also need some candy. So if you can do one or the other or both, that would be awesome. This coming Thursday and Friday is the Grandparenting Summit. It's going to be wonderful. You can sign up for it out there in the, in the hall. We've got a discount from, from $60 to $45 per person. If you don't have the money, Ken will pay for it. I don't want money to keep you from coming. But it's going to be good. We're, we're one of the live stream sites if you want to go to it in person, you have to go to Birmingham, Alabama. It's a lot closer here, but it'll be Thursday and Friday. The preschool and children's area is wide open. Now you can take your children in there. 
and take them to their classroom. We don't have any of the, like we do, dropping them off at the door and all that. If, if you have, I don't, doubt many of you in here have preschoolers unless they're grandchildren, but, but I just wanted you to know the preschool and children's areas, and I appreciate so much the volunteers that we have. We're studying the book of Nehemiah on Wednesday nights. If you're our guest, I'd like to meet you. I'll be in the hospitality room out the door and to the right, the room with a glass wall. I'd like to meet you. Have something I'll give you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.